Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, Life in the Sun. How's everybody doing? I just continue to to, uh, thank you guys and Pastor Mark for giving me the opportunity to get up here and speak to you guys. And, you know, this series that we're going through uh, on miracles, you know, I was just over there. You know, you get a lot of things going through your mind before you step up here to preach. And, you know, the biggest thing that I think that really hit me over there was there's so many barriers between us and God. He uses so many different tools to help us see him. And sometimes we're so far out into the darkness that he uses miracles as a means for us to get, uh, or for him to get our attention. Amen? So let us pray, uh, and we'll get started with our message this morning. Father, we thank you that we're not so far out, Lord God, that your hand cannot save. We thank you that it is not dependent upon how we feel. It's not dependent on what we know. But, Lord, it's depending upon what we see. And, Father, when we begin to see who you are in our heart, Lord, we begin to reach out and we begin to touch. We begin to experience your presence in our lives, Lord God. And, Lord, we're not talking about visual sight. We're not talking about something of this world. We're talking about faith, which is a vision that you've given to us inside of our heart to be able to see who you are in the reality of your kingdom, Father. So, Lord, we pray for this service today. Lord, let my words be yours. And let your heart, Lord, speak through me. And let me reduce myself, Lord God, and get out of the way so that your people can hear what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So beyond the signs, today we're going to be covering the miracle of the official's son being healed. Now this is actually taking place uh, after the, the miracle that Pastor Mark talked about last week, which was turning water to wine. So these signs, they, they point, as part, Pastor Mark said, they point us to something. Amen? They're like words that are on the signposts on the side of the road, and they direct us to either get on or get off, go forward, go back. They give us instruction. Amen? So the purpose of the, uh, the miracle today is really to, you know, I was hearing uh, Pastor Terry's prayer this morning about brokenness, and there's one thing that touched me about the official. Sometimes our initial push towards God is really brokenness in our heart. And that's really why the official was seeking Jesus. He was seeking Jesus because he was broken over the situation with his son. His son was at death's door. We know that. But we don't know why. We don't know what, you know, what the, uh, uh, the situation was. We don't know the details. All we know is that it was bad enough for him to seek out probably the last resort that he had. He had heard about Jesus. He had, you know, by this time, Jesus' uh, miracles and, or, uh, and, you know, his ministry has begun to uh, propagate across Jerusalem and Galilee and Samaria, and people were talking. 
And they were talking about this miraculous healer that could heal with a touch, heal with a word. And many were flocking to him and following him. And, and so that kind of brings us to the point of today's message. Why do we seek after him? Why do we follow Jesus? Is there something that we are looking simply to get from him? Or are we truly beginning to see who he is and the fact that he is truly God's son? Amen? So the bottom line that we want to look at is, like I said, sometimes that initial push is really we see a need and we're trying to find the the shortest way to get that need filled. It's a shortcut for us. Right? We want to look for that healing. We want to look for that, that purpose. But are we only looking for solutions? Are we simply just want to get it done and get out of the way so that we can get over what we're going through? Or do we really seek for an answer? Because that's really what God is trying to do is stir up in us the real questions. You know, we go through this. You know, we have... Uh, situations in our lives where we don't know why things are happening. We don't know why the specifics behind the circumstances. uh, And so we question. We question God. We question his purpose in our lives. We, we, We reach out and we ask, Lord, what's happening? Why is my son sick? He didn't have an answer. So he looked for the best answer he could find. And in that time, it was Jesus. He was physical. He was literally here on earth doing what he was sent to do. And we began to see a new, I guess, a new face in the landscape of what God was doing over the centuries. This was a new, we, we know it now as a new dispensation or the New Testament. It's a new, new action that God was doing from the old. So this was all brand new. These uh, we have to remember that at this time, the, the Israelites were, were coming out of uh, a, long, a long period of not having anything happen. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and begins to challenge everybody's perception of what religion was for them. You know, who is this God of Abraham? And then Jesus shows up on the scene and starts totally rearranging everything. Amen. So the bottom line in these, these, these signs is that his goal is to help us believe through what we receive. The encounters and the signs, they're, they're not the main purpose of what God is trying to get our attention for. But there are tools that he uses to help us to actually see him in the midst of the circumstances. So let's go ahead and read through the scripture. There's actually a uh, precursor scripture. We kind of need this for background. So this is right out of John chapter 4, and this is uh, verses 28 through 30 and 39 to 45. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from town believed from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So this is the actual healing of the, of the official son, the scripture that we're going to go over now. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man had heard that Jesus had come down from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to, and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Amen. So now the question comes after we read this, the scripture. Were the Galileans seeking Jesus because of the signs? Or were they seeking Jesus as someone that they felt could do something for them? So that leads to our next question. Is Jesus our Savior or our servant? Sometimes these signs or these issues that we have in our life, these milestones, these questions that we bring up to God, they're, they're designed to expose something in us. Sometimes we don't even see idolatry lurking in our heart. We don't see it because sometimes we're so desperately in need, we don't really care how we get what we get. We don't care about the method. We don't care about the reason. We don't even really care how it works. But if I know I can go and get a solution, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. Because the reality is, is sometimes when we're going through life, it's, 
we, we, we want things to be calm and peaceful. We want things to be moving forward in such a way that it makes sense to us, right? But we also know that just as Jesus showed up on the scene in, in Jerusalem, where years of tradition have been rooted and grounded in, in society, he showed up to shake things up. He had to shake up our, the spiritual world, as it were, in order to begin to introduce who he was. So why would he not need to do the same thing in our own hearts? Amen? Why would he not need to shake up our hearts a little bit to wake us up from our, 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 our idolatries that we may be lurking in? Because who's the greatest idol in our lives? We are. How many times have we sat on the throne? And even justified the fact that I need to be here. This is, this is my seat, Lord. <laughs> Amen? But God says, no. I want you to have trust. I want you to have faith. I want you to know who I am. Amen? So how does he get us there? <laughs> because he has to get us off of that seat The, what, see, the bottom line is what got us there is sometimes we create a God in our own image simply to meet our needs so that we can get on with life. We can get on with, with school and work and getting the stuff done in this life that demands our, our attention. Amen? We have families to take care of. We've got jobs to do. And all this other stuff is just getting in the way of the American dream of what we think life was supposed to be, or at least we're maybe buying into the worldly vision of what life should be. Amen? So this also brings up another point. You know, if all God is to us is somebody that works for us, fulfills our needs, how many times have we felt ourselves or even heard others say, you know what, it doesn't work for me anymore? This God thing doesn't work anymore. Why do we do that? What brought us to Jesus in the first place? We have to be challenged by this story because here's a little background. You know, I don't, I don't remember the exact elevation, but it was, I think it's 1,300 feet, I think, something like that, between uh, Capernaum and, and Galilee, where, where Jesus was, was preaching. And this official had to walk two or three days uphill to get to where Jesus was. So the need sometimes needs to be greater. Some of us react differently than others. Some of us are prompted, we have a little bit softer heart than others. So God needs to create a landscape in our lives where there's going to be brokenness. There's going to be a challenge, and there's going to be a need for a miracle. Amen? Because we, we forget about doubting Thomas sometimes when, you know, we, we look at it and we go, well, all the other ones believe, but what was up with Thomas? <laughs> you know, why was he so stubborn? That, oh, yeah, that ain't, no, that ain't Jesus. You know, I need to put my finger in his wounds. But here's what I want you to catch on. And this is kind of 
I think, what God put in my heart for this message. Jesus did not run away from it. In fact, he showed up a second time in order to provide Thomas the opportunity to see him. And he said, put your, put your hand, your finger in my wounds. It is I. He wanted him to believe. But then he also, just like we're going to go through in this story, there was, there was a rebuke. Because Thomas, he said, it's great that you believe, but it is better for those who have believed without seeing. Because they're, why did he say that? Because the heart needs to be massaged in such a way that we have, we're cultivated into genuine faith. Amen? Because God does, he loves us so much, he doesn't want us operating in superficial faith that thinks only of ourselves when we're on the throne and we just think one day we can show up in heaven and go, I'm here. Let me in. I've got my red tie. Right? But the reality is, is what brings you there to begin with? Amen? Amen. So the next slide, we have a quote from David F. Wells. I don't know David F. Wells, but he's got an awesome quote here. Let's read the quote. We have turned God turned to a God that we can use rather than a God we must obey. We have turned to a God who will fulfill our needs rather than to a God before whom we must surrender our rights. He is a God for us, for our satisfaction. You know, I was reading uh, an article the other day and it was talking about Christianity in America. I forget who the author was, but uh, it talked about how we have bought into a consumer mindset when it comes to following Jesus. But at the same time, like I said, I don't want you to misunderstand what, the way God operates. God loves you. He wants to fulfill your needs. He wants to be your servant. But the problem is our mindset sometimes is we begin to demand it. We begin to need it more than we need Jesus. Because we all have that unavoidable temptation to make God in our own image. God becomes someone who must prove himself to us in order to be believed. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 strictly says, for we live by faith and not by sight. So God's goal is faith that trusts in who he is because he has revealed himself to you in specific ways that have gotten your attention. How many of us have had experiences where we know, God, that was you? There's no other explanation. Right? And we fall on our knees at that moment and we worship God because we're like, God, there, nobody knew that. And there's no way that I could be receiving what I'm receiving right now unless this was you, God. 
Amen? But put days, weeks, months, years between that experience, what do we end up doing? We forget. We end up walking around the same tree again, going through the same circumstances, going through the same problems. Lord, why? But the reality again, it's part of our nature. We get stuck. We get stuck in these grooves and we can't always get out of them. So God has to send these instances into our lives. But unfortunately, they're cloaked in trials. They're cloaked in pain. They're cloaked in brokenness. And they're cloaked in suffering. So when we see them coming, what do we do? (laughs) I want to get as far away as I can from this suffering. And we begin to think and feel and do things that are not of God and then we justify them. We miss the point of the sign. The sign is pointing to Jesus but we feel so guilty or broken or hurt we want to go the other way. We're not obeying the sign. We're disregarding the sign. We're misinterpreting the sign. We're not actually seeing the sign. So why does God keep allowing this in our life? Because he wants you to see him. He wants you to understand the purpose of the sign. So how many signs then, God, do we need before we really surrender unto obedience? Eh? Here's a little background. I, for myself even, you know, I grew up in Christ. But I don't know, maybe this is unique to me. Maybe this will speak to some of you. But I think our human nature, at least my human nature, (laughs) when I began to follow Jesus, it was more from an attitude of, okay, God, what do I have to do? I understand that you're Jesus. You blow me away, Lord. But break it down for me, Lord. What do I, what what is the minimum? (laughs) Right? What can I get away with? Is there anything? I mean, this grace thing, this whole, you know, I'm not going to get judged for it. I'm not going to get you know, I'm not going to go to hell for this now. I'm, I've accepted you as my Savior. And I bought into that lie for many years. But God had to begin to send things into my life to wake me up and to say, no, right, being, being obedient and walking in righteousness is not a requirement for salvation, but it's fruit of real, honest genuine faith. It is the litmus test of what kind of faith we have. Amen? Amen. So now, God is interested in restoring intimacy. Intimacy to the deepest part, or the deepest kind, rather, so that we can know him. So that when we sit in his presence, we know what to do. We don't have to ask, Lord, what's the minimum? 
We know what it is. And it's not coerced. It's not out of obligation. It's not where we're feeling pressure under some religious set of rules. But now we begin to see God for who he is, a loving father that cares so deeply about us, but also has to pierce through the darkness of a world that is opposite from him. His message is so different that we either love it or we hate it. We either walk with it or we walk away from it. We either walk to Jesus or we run from him. And these might be for different reasons. So now we understand why Jesus has this parable. So enter the official. Here's this guy that has seen Jesus, has heard, I mean, has heard about Jesus and is going to see Jesus. He's got brokenness in his life and he is doing whatever he can to help his son and so that his son does not die. So now we enter to the rebuke. Jesus rebuked the official. I mean, here he is. He walked all this distance. He, we, we could look at it from the onset and go, by the time he got to Jesus, was this guy doing the right thing? He followed, and I mean, he, he sought out Jesus to fill his need. Is that wrong? I don't think so. But here Jesus rebukes him for it. But listen to the rebuke. The rebuke in in essence was pointed at the uh, I don't want to say the quality but the basis of the faith of the official. But it was also said publicly when he said, if you do not see signs, you will not believe. That you was not just directed at the official, but it was also directed at anybody that was in earshot. This was the the ruling kind of mentality that we saw at the time. But the rebuke was given to provide the proper relationship between the sign and what the sign was pointing to. He wanted to make sure, Jesus, that is, wanted to make sure that the people in that, that, uh, that, that situation understood why simply seeking him for what he could do for them was not enough. I mean, here this guy, think about it from their standpoint. This guy is standing before them. He does miracles. And he's saying all this crazy stuff about the kingdom of God, that it is here, that it is available, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? He's the one that's saying, if you, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. If you don't see me, you don't see him. If you don't follow me, you don't follow him. He was cutting some, 
serious lines in the ground. Amen? And these are lines that superficial faith cannot cross over. He needs to shake us up so that we understand who he is. And this response is fundamentally flawed because it disregards Jesus as the center and only focuses on the need or a constant display of miracles. Sometimes I think we, you know, myself included, I'm guilty of this as well. Sometimes we look at life as if I had a miracle every day, God, I would follow you forever. (laughs) It would make it so much easier on me if you would just fix everything every day when I wake up and I just say, oh, Lord, you know, okay, fix my lawnmower, fix my son, fix my, you know, and all of a sudden it just started happening. But the reality is, is that that's not God. Because there's deeper issues that God wants to get to in our heart. So let's look at the two kinds of faith. There's counterfeit faith and there's genuine faith. So let's go to the next slide, please. So seeking him for what he can do for us, but never choosing to obey him. That's really counterfeit faith. It's not the real deal. Because true faith leads us to action. It leads us to respond. It calls us out of unbelief. It calls us out, and it requires action. You know, I always use the, uh, it's a very simple concept. You know, if we're sitting at a stoplight out here, I've got two pedals on the floor to to choose from. Amen? What are they? Gas and brake. So if that light turns green and I just sit there, what's going to (laughs) happen? People are going to be, I don't know, maybe they'll hop out of the car and come out and assault me. I don't know. But definitely there's going to be some issues, right? (laughs) But if I hit the gas, everything is going to go just fine, right? But what what was the decision point? What was the thing that happened that gave me, that provided me the, the opportunity to choose? A green light. What's a green light? It's a sign. <laughs> Amen. This is getting good now. The sign was provided. Do you realize it actually takes faith to hit that gas pedal and go through an intersection? I mean, most of the time it works out just fine, right? But I got a story for you. I was in Korea. This was back in, my gosh, 99. I was on my my way home from Bible study. And the way the lights in Korea work is that if you are, if you hit, if you come up against a red light on the main road, the next light to go is the opposite side turns left in front of you. Go figure that out, okay? And there was, 
I had no idea at the time, but there was a taxi sitting there waiting. And we know taxis are always impatient, right? So I'm just driving along, and, you know, there's probably maybe 50 yards between me and the bulk of the traffic. And all the traffic goes through, and I'm coming up, and it's right at that point. Don't you love this? The light turns yellow. And you're like, uh, 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 uh. Do, do I stop? Uh, uh. No, I'm going for it. And it was just, you know, because if I would have stopped, I would have been like, you know, up to the light, and I didn't want to do that. So, but I had no idea that there was this gung-ho taxi driver sitting on the other side, and I had no, no idea that this is how the lights were set up, you know? So I'm flying out, you know, coming through the light. All of a sudden, this taxi just turns right in front of me. And all I had to, time to do was just hit the brakes, and I hit it. Boom. Nailed right into this car. Airbag went off. That was one time the sign didn't work for me. (laughs) But signs are designed to produce genuine faith. Because if we just sit there when we've been given the right sign and we choose not to believe, if we choose not to act, that's the point. In order for that, you know, I get the sign, the light turns green, I'm, I'm responsible to do something as a result of it. If I don't do anything, then that's my choice. But if I believe the sign, I got to hit the gas pedal, trust the process, and move into what God has called me to do. That's the purpose of the sign. So genuine faith is is faith that brings action and results in trust. Amen? So now we have signs that were given to encourage faith, but not to replace it. God's trust is developed and cultivated through the experiences of our life because we know that signs point to something greater. So there's three things that we need to pull out of this. There's three parts, three attributes, I should say, of genuine faith. First one is the nature of it. The second one is the cultivation of it. And the third one is the results of it. So the crisis is that soy, that soins, soins, I'm going into my Australian accent real quick. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) But signs point us to something greater. Amen? So let's look at the first nature of genuine faith, that it demands action. We already saw with the, the traffic light that we need to move. When God provides a sign, it provides an opportunity. So what is the actions? The action is what moves us into the testing. Think, oh man, I thought, I thought acting was enough. I thought I'd, that was enough, right? That I just have to hit the gas and go. No, you're going to be tested. Once you hit that gas and you go in, into the promise that God has, has provided for you, you will be tested. So how does this relate to our official? Well, the official shows up, right? He gets rebuked. But what did he say? 
his response was, Lord, please come before he dies. He passed the first test. He, di- he didn't get upset. He didn't look at Jesus and say, don't you even care? Why are you rebuking me? I'm here because of you. He could have had all kinds of excuses, but he chose to respond to the need. And there was another test when he said, go, your son is healed. And he had to turn and walk two or three days back down to Capernaum. He had no idea whether what Jesus said was true or not, but he was being tested. Amen? And the other part of genuine faith, the nature of it is that it brings results. As we see in the scripture, by the time he got home, he was told that his son had indeed truly been healed. In fact, to the point to where he asked the, the, uh, his servant, when did it happen? When did that specific time, what was the specific time? And he told him the time, and then the official knew immediately that was exactly the same time that Jesus told me that he was healed. And the other part of what Jesus was showing him was also his power. In fact, Jesus did not have to go with him, is what he was showing him. He was was claiming now to be able to heal with just a word from a great distance. There wasn't anybody in history before then, or even up until now, that could really do that. He was showing you know, sometimes I was, you know, Superman. He was showing his little Superman. He's like, okay, I'm God. And he buttoned it back up. He wanted people to see who he was. He did, but he was limited because he has to cultivate faith. So we have this claim to deity, we have a progression of faith that is building in the official's heart. We have an official who is moving from simply being a needy customer to actually beginning to have faith in understanding who Jesus was. It wasn't just another prophet that could do miracles. It wasn't just some wise man in the desert. He was God's son. He was God in the flesh. So the second part of genuine faith is it brings results. In James 2.14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So we go back to and revisit again what the, what the official and his goal was. 
His main goal was to get healing for his son, but Jesus was doing something greater. He was revealing something in his heart and in his mind of who he was. There was something in it for him. There was something in it for his family. What were the results? The results we can read in verse 52 or 53. It says the father knew the exact hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And it says, and he himself believed and all his household. That was the goal. That's where the sign was pointing. The sign was pointing to Jesus as being our Savior, not just somebody that could heal a son. The purpose is greater. The need is greater than what we think it is sometimes. But the need is exposed in our life so that we can have the, the real need revealed to us. Okay? In each one of our lives, we have needs. We have requirements that we place before God. Or not requirements. That's not a good word. We have desires and needs, even deep needs that we need to put before God. And the The question is not, is he going to fulfill them? But are you going to get to know him through the process of coming to him and him granting you what you need? Remember, we learn to receive, I'm sorry, we learn to believe through what we receive. Those standing stones, those moments where we meet God, they build our faith and they cultivate it. So that moves on to our next point, is that God cultivates genuine faith. It wasn't wrong that the the official showed up and started, you know, uh, only thinking about what he needed. That's really not the point. The point is, does your faith have the opportunity to be cultivated? In Luke 13, verses 6 through 9, we have the story of the fig tree. Remember that? Where Jesus said, A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again to see, uh, I'm sorry, and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. These are some very stern words from Jesus, but they're also very hopeful. Because what God is showing us is he has to cultivate a genuine response from us. It is cultivated. That's why we have so much time here on earth. We have been given time to find him. We have been given time to know him, and we have been given time to give ourselves to him. But don't waste your time. Don't take advantage, or don't 
Take advantage of the time. Don't waste it. Use it for the intent that God gave us the time. Time is valuable. We covered it, I think, in one of the other sermons. What is time? You know, time can be wasted. Time has a value. Sometimes we look at time as a commodity, and it is. It's a gift from God to get us to the point to where we know him. Because Jesus cultivates faith in us by bringing us through trials and brokenness, and this serves as a spiritual greenhouse in which God grows faith and where it blooms and where it is nourished. But we want to get to the point of why we want to have this understanding of saving faith, of genuine faith, is that it takes time. Our faith that ends up in salvation, as we see with the official, it took two days. From the time that he approached Jesus and he received the word of the healing of his son, and he walked two days, possibly three, they say, to get back to Capernaum. It wasn't until he got home that it was validated to where the light came on in his heart and his mind and said, wow, now I believe. That's really what it says. Even though it says at the very beginning of this journey, he said I, he believed Jesus and he left. Right? But then why did he say when he got back up there and finally received the, the answer that his son had been healed, why does he say, and now he believed? Why do we have two movements of belief? Because God is cultivating the belief. God is cultivating the faith. He is now receiving the reward of his faith. And because of that, now his family could look at the situation and go, wow, God, you're awesome. And they believed right on the spot because of what God had cultivated. So Jesus was showing the official that neither he nor his family could live without him. It was no longer about just one life. It was about the entire family. So how does that relate to us now? How, what does this mean for us? You know, we don't have quick access to miracles like this. We don't have, you know, these types of things happening. So how does this really relate? Well, the reality is, is that there is one miracle that happens to us. And it's when that that green light comes on in our, in our heart and mind where Jesus speaks to your heart and says, I'm here for you. I'm here to provide everything that you need, but there will be a cost. You will have to leave everything behind to follow me. You will have to leave Capernaum, seek me out, Ask of me what you need. I will put you through some tests. I will put you through some trials. But it's because I love you. And I want to cultivate in you the, the kind of faith that is going to save you. That is going to provide eternal life. I don't want 
you walking in superficial faith, believing that it is enough. I don't want you walking in a life that has no fruit and you believing that you are my, my child. I want you to examine your own vines. Look and see if there is fruit on your vine. If you do not see any fruit, come to me and I will cultivate it. I will fertilize it. I will put you in the right circumstances, in the right places, with the right people, and you will grow. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to true salvation, a life that turns from darkness and from evil and turns to the light and turns to him. It's a life that turns from trusting only in what we can see and beginning to trust in who we know. So the result of genuine faith is salvation. So we have the question, how much faith does he actually have at the beginning point, and how much faith does he have at the end point? We can see that it grew. And we can see that it resulted in salvation. And we can see that we don't get saved because of the level of our own faith, but we get saved because we begin to see Jesus for who he, exactly for who he is. So Christians often make a mistake to think that we are simply saved because of our faith. But the reality is, is we are saved through faith. Faith does not save us. Jesus saves us. Faith is simply the action of hitting that gas pedal when we got the green light and you go through to the point where you receive Jesus specifically for you. So what do we do with doubts? What do we do with fears? Here's what happens when we run into doubt. Sometimes we think that God is disappointed in our level of faith. He's not. If God were disappointed in our level of faith, we would now be turning faith into a work. It would be something that we would have to have a level of or a fulfillment of or we would have to obey God in this uh, specific area as a work. No, God is in the business of growing your faith because Having courage does not mean not having fears. In the same way, having faith does not mean not having doubts. Like the official does, choose to trust Jesus despite them. So the bottom line is that God really does have patience with us. He gives us grace as he leads us to genuine faith. For God uses signs to validate the truth, and then we follow the truth and not the signs. Amen? All right, well, let us pray. Father, we just thank you that you love us enough, Lord, to show us the truth, to show us the purpose of why we were created. We were created to know you. We were created to understand who you are in light 
of the circumstances in our lives, in light of the situations that reveal themselves to us every day. And Father, I pray that these signs that we, that we see, these things in our lives, Lord, that point us to you, that we take advantage of them for the purpose that you have called us to, to know you. That, Lord, that you want to use miracles and signs in our lives to be able to show us who you are. To show us the power that you have given. To show us your deity in the midst of our circumstances. Lord, heal us of our diseases. Heal us of our sins, Lord God. Allow us to trust a little bit more today of who you are. Let us not allow the circumstances to push us away from you, Lord God. But Jesus, let us bring those circumstances to the throne room of grace where you said that we would receive in our time of need. You said that you would provide for us, Lord. Thank you for being patient with us, Lord, as we learn how to grow and understand what faith is. Lord, give us the the courage to continue to move forward, Lord, even though when the things around us may be confusing. And help us to see beyond the signs to the truth of who you are, Lord Jesus, that you save. And when you save, Lord God, you save to the uttermost. You save completely. But this is also a journey, Lord God. And help us to rest in the journey that you've provided to us, Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we just want to provide the opportunity for those who have not yet chosen to follow after after Jesus. If today that you've seen that faith is much more than just receiving something from God. It's more than a feeling. It's more than even a basic understanding. It's when God begins to, through the Holy Spirit, show Jesus to you, to show the purpose that he was created or that he, that he was born on this earth, rather. The purpose that he came was to save you and to provide for you a way of escape, to pay for the sins that all of us have committed. And if that is you, then just go ahead and slip up your hand and we'll pray together. We'll pray for that revelation to be solidified in your heart so that everything that has gone before in your life, even though it doesn't make sense, can now be brought to the throne where you can receive the grace that you need. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we just pray also, Lord, for those of us, Lord, that have known you for for quite some time, Father, that you allow us to walk in the genuine faith that you have 
purpose for us to walk in today. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for the life that you've given to us, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you help us to recognize the signs each day that they point to you, Father. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.